if you haven't caught on, there's a bit of a theme happening here. Birth um, with a parent-child dedication, expecting birth here. And, and it just reminds me of the birth of my own kids. And they're so sweet at that age, aren't they? <laughs> so cute. <clears throat> and then they grow up, and they're still sweet and cute and good. Yeah. The Bible is full of birth stories. Birth is a sign of life, blessing. No birth is ordinary, but there is an ordinariness about every birth. We're all alive because a woman gave birth to us. And this morning, we're going to look at the story of an unusual birth, the birth of laughter. And this isn't a joke. I read recently that a child laughs around 200 times a day. We love to hear children laugh. We go out of our way to make them laugh. We, we, we do silly things in order to hear a child giggle. Adults, on the other hand, laugh four times a day. Between childhood and adulthood, we lose 196 laughs. How sad. I had the privilege, the opportunity to attend the birth of all of my boys. I almost missed the last one, but I didn't. A different memory surrounds each birth. My memories aren't the same as Doreen's. We tell the stories differently. <clears throat> in the ordinariness of birth stories, there are a few in the Bible that wear the title Extraordinary. Off the top of my head, I can think of John the Baptist in the New Testament. In the Old Testament, there's Samuel or Joseph of the amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat fame. And then there's Samson. Each child opened their mother's womb. Before their birth, barrenness. Before their birth, deep, deep sorrow. Before their birth, hopelessness. Children in the ancient world were a symbol of blessing, God's blessing. Barrenness was a curse. This Advent, we're looking at some of the miracle children of the Bible. And we're calling the series Miracle Child. And we'll take a look at the birth of John the Baptist, of Samuel. And this morning, we're taking a look at the birth of laughter, baby Isaac. We'll also conclude on Christmas Eve by looking at the greatest miracle child of all, Jesus. Baby Isaac's parents were Abraham and Sarah. And by the time he was born, Abraham was 100 and Sarah was 90. I couldn't imagine being that old. And having a child. I couldn't imagine being the child of parents that old. Our story this morning isn't a story of an immaculate conception. That story will happen 2,000 years later. Our story, however, is a story of a miraculous conception. The story, like most, has its beginning in another story. It begins with a meeting between God and a man named Abram. We know him better as Abraham, the name God would give him after his calling. His wife was called Sarai. We know her better as Sarah, the name that she received by God after her calling. Names are central to this story. They're a central theme to our stories. Names are given at birth and at rebirth. Abram was called by God to leave his place 
where he lived, the people he knew. He was called to leave his father's family and travel to a new place, a new land with his wife, Sarah. And then God promised this to Abraham in Genesis chapter 12. God said, I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples of the earth will be blessed through you. The irony surrounding this promise is that Abraham and Sarah are childless. You are going to make a great nation out of me, Lord. I have no offspring. How's that going to happen? And for years, this question of being childless haunted Abraham. In Genesis 15, Abraham questions God's ability to fulfill his promise. And God takes him out of his tent and he says, Abraham, look up into the night sky and start counting the stars. In fact, you won't be able to count all of them. That's how many offspring you will have. What an incredible picture. We're told that Abraham believed God. He trusted God with this promise. When we feel strongly about a God promise, a prophetic word, we become impatient for its fulfillment. I use this term, prophetic word, because many of God's promises came through the prophets. Abraham and Sarah made a few missteps on their way to parenthood. They became impatient. In Genesis 16, we have them providing their own solution to the problem. There is often a human solution to a God promise. How many times have we made a substitution for God? It's easier to grab hold of what is present than to wait patiently, hopefully, for God's future. The future requires faith. The present requires adjusted expectations. The human solution was for Abram to take Sarah's servant, Hagar, and to have a son with her. And this wasn't uncommon in those days. Their culture made provision for surrogate mothers. This was not God's plan. God reminds Abraham in Genesis 17 that he will keep his promise. How does, God, how does Abraham respond to God? He laughs. Verse 17, Then Abraham bowed down to the ground, but he laughed to himself in disbelief. How could I become a father at the age of 100, he thought. How can Sarah have a baby when she's 90 years old? When you look up this word faith in Wikipedia, you will see a picture of Abraham. Abraham is the definition of faith. Abraham is our example. Abraham doubts God. He doubts God's ability to bring life out of two dead bodies. Our story consumes a good chunk of the middle part of Genesis. It began at the end of Genesis 11, and here we've traveled already to Genesis chapter 18. And in Genesis 18, we, we've heard the story already that, that Abraham's visited by three strangers. He's visited by God. And these three strangers arrive at Abraham's door to make a birth announcement. I have a feeling that birth announcements today have been somewhat overshadowed by gender reveals. Like nothing beats an explosion. 
showing, okay, this is what we're having. Back in the day when there was a little more mystery surrounding a baby's birth, you had to be more deliberate. And Doreen and I were always more deliberate about our birth announcements. We, we didn't want to seem too eager or too nonchalant. We were excited to let the whole world know we were expecting, but we downplayed that excitement. And so you'd have to read into the conversation what was happening. Oh, did you know that we bought another car seat? Oh, and, and we traded in our old vehicle because it didn't seat four children. Subtlety. You needed to pay attention in order to catch the birth announcement. With Nathan, we made no announcement. We simply allowed the boys to tell everyone, and all of a sudden we were receiving phone calls. Are, are you expecting? Yes, we bought another car seat. <laughs> The birth announcement in Genesis 18 is not made by the expectant parents. It's made by strangers. In fact, Sarah wasn't pregnant yet. Announcements can surprise us, catch us off guard. Sarah's surprised. She isn't even part of the conversation. She's standing inside the tent, and she overhears. She eavesdrops on this conversation. And surprise can have two kinds of effects on us creates two kinds of laughter, joyful, wonderful, soul-cleansing laughter that's mixed with tears and delight, and, and it just comes out of joyful ecstasy. Or surprise can cause us to catch our breath with a... <laughs> it's a mocking laugh that says, you, you can't be serious. <laughs> you, you, you're not serious, are you? Laughter plays such a key part in the birth of this child that the baby's given the name laughter. This is what Isaac means. He laughs. The actual birth of laughter is recorded in Genesis 21. The Lord kept his word and did for Sarah exactly what he had promised. She became pregnant and she gave birth to a son for Abraham in his old age. This happened at just the time God had said it would. And Abraham named their son Isaac. And Sarah declared, God has brought me laughter. All who hear about this will laugh with me. Who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse a baby? Yet I have given Abraham a son in his old age. Finally, Abraham at 100 and, and Sarah at 90 have given birth to laughter the promised miracle child. Gracie Ellen, who was married to George Burns, said, When I was born, I was so surprised I couldn't talk for a year and a half. <laughs> Gracie Ellen is a comedian telling a joke, but there's a truth buried here. The truth is that birth is often surrounded by the unusual. In the New Testament, Zechariah John the Baptist's father, he couldn't talk. He was mute through the whole pregnancy of Elizabeth. His son John is born and his tongue is loose and he breaks forth in song. Both Abraham and Sarah laugh when they're told that God was giving them a son. This was a sardonic, sarcastic, cynical, mocking laugh. At his birth, a much different laugh escaped their lips. Joyful, happy, giddy laughter. Each time they called his name, 
the name of their son. They were reminded that he was their gift of laughter. Choosing your child's name is deeply personal. Dreen and I were surprisingly united in the names that we chose for our boys. Had we had a girl, there would have been a fight. Fortunately, we just had boys because we didn't have to go there. Recently on the news, there was an incident. Uh, uh, a mother on a plane was offended by one of the employees of the airline for making fun of her child's name. And no one should make fun of children's names. But parents, we need to be responsible in how we name our children. The children's name is spelled A-B-C-D-E. And it's pronounced Apsidy. We, 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 we choose names for different reasons. In some tribal cultures, names describe events surrounding the birth. Paul Stevens tells of friends in Kenya who named their child Budget. And when the, they were asked why they named their child Budget, they said because he was born on the day the government brought down the budget. I don't know how Isaac would have fared today in our crazy social media-driven culture. The birth of laughter, a.k.a. Isaac, was a miracle. God's promises can't be stopped. They can't be spoilt or substituted. His promises aren't dependent on us. A beautiful part of the story is that Abraham's faith doesn't drive this story. God's faithfulness does. My faith doesn't drive God's story. God's faithfulness does. God fulfilled his promise to Abraham and Sarah, even with mocking laughs on their lips. God isn't deterred. He fulfills his promise of life, new birth, in the face of dryness, brokenness, and infertility. He can birth life out of a withered, dust-filled womb. Is anything too hard for the Lord? We're confronted with this question all the time. Don't feel badly when you doubt. Abraham, our example of faith and faithfulness, laughed. Laughed in the face of God's promise. And we are more like him than different. Is anything too hard for the Lord? Isaac was not the only child of promise. There was another child. The prophet Isaiah gave a prophetic word promising a child that would change the world. Laughter would surround his birth. Listen to Isaiah's prophetic word to us. You may recognize it. Isaiah chapter 9. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. For a child is born to us, a son is given to us. The government will rest on his shoulders and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. His government and its peace will never end. He will rule with fairness and justice from the throne of his ancestor David for all eternity. This promised child took forever to arrive. Impatience drove people to make substitutions, create human solutions for God's promise. When the prophetic word was fulfilled, laughter greeted the child. 
Can you imagine the snickering that went on behind Mary's back when, when people were told that Mary was pregnant? Yeah, right, Mary. <laughs> really? You've never slept with a man? <laughs> that, that's a good one, Mary. A nervous laugh escaped Herod's lips when the wise men came knocking on his palace door. Where? Where can we find this newborn king of the Jews, they asked. <laughs> Come on in, guys. Let, let, let me help you find him. And a mocking laugh trails after them as Herod pointed them in the direction of Bethlehem. And don't forget to return and tell me where I can find him, he chuckled. Oh, what joyous laughter would have risen to the heavens when the angels heard the glorious good news. When they sang that good news for the shepherds. And then to be the first on the scene, they couldn't stop poking each other and smiling and laughing. Can you believe it, guys? We're the first one here. We're, we're, we're the ones that, that have met our Savior. We're the first ones to see the fulfillment of God's promise. And then the wise men, when they finally found baby Jesus, the laughter breaking out from them upon their arrival. What a crazy, crazy long journey. They would have been giddy with delight as they glanced upon the child that, hold, that held the whole world in his hands. When Dreen and I left McIver Church in Winnipeg the summer of 1996, the church prayed over us. People gathered around and laid their hands on us. And I can see that in my mind still today. A number of people prayed, and then there was a woman who had only been attending for a short while, and, and she prayed. And it was more a prophetic word over us than a prayer, a God promise. I want to clarify what I mean by a prophetic word. Sometimes God gives an individual a picture, an image, words to pass on to another person. This word is meant to encourage, to build up. It's meant to prepare the person or individual for the future God has for them. I believe God gave her this prophetic word, this God promise for Dreen and me. The woman painted a beautiful picture of what our ministry would look like here at South Langley. The gist of it was, we would bless people and in return, we would be blessed. I was pumped. Wow, can hardly wait to get going. Let's get started. Let's get out there. When we got here in October of 1996, a much different picture emerged. We didn't seem to be a blessing to anyone. And I sure didn't feel blessed. Our first three and a half years to four, I managed to shrink the church quite well. People were always kind when they said they were leaving, but it hurt. It wasn't the picture of success that I was hoping for, that I thought had been prayed over us. And there was times when I laughed and I thought about that promise. It wasn't a funny ha-ha laugh. It was a disillusioned laugh. Ha, Lord, yes, your word prayed over us really is making sense now. Why is everyone leaving? In those days, I would pray, Lord, get me. Get me to summer. If I can just get through spring to summer, I, I think I can go a little bit further. Lord, get me to the end of the month. Lord, get me to the end of the... Lord, can you get me to the end of today? If only I could get to two years. 
There's no shame in quitting after two years, is there? I soon forgot the word of promise spoken over Dreen and me. And as I wind up my pastoral ministry here at South Langley Church, the Lord has reminded me of that promise made 22 years ago. A promise that Dreen and I would get to bless you and in return we would be blessed. And I stand here and say that God's word to us has been fulfilled. Dreen and I have much for which to give thanks. We're filled with laughter, joyful laughter. We rejoice at God's goodness and faithfulness to us. Thank you. Often the birth of laughter is long and drawn out like the birth of Isaac. And at times, a mocking laugh will escape our lips. And God will challenge us, and he'll ask, is there anything too hard for the Lord? Is there anything too hard for me? We're not talking about unrestrained possibilities, the realm of positive thinking today. God is not the God of positive thinking where we're told that all our dreams can come true. This is wishful thinking. Not everything is promised us. Not everything is a God promise, a prophetic word. Yes, Jesus promised us a life, a lasting and abundant life. But the disciples wanted a quick and easy fix, an easy solution. They wanted Jesus to be an earthly king, not a heavenly one. They wanted a quick victory, not a cross and death and anguish and sorrow and the glorious laughter of resurrection, new birth, new life, eternal life. The promise of life, abundant life, is fulfilled by carrying crosses and daily dying and sacrificial serving. And as we move through Advent, let us remember to wait. And as we wait, we pick up our cross. We die to those things that pull us away from Christ, and we get down on our knees in order to serve each other. Because before we know it, Jesus will have returned for us. Jesus is coming. Come, Lord Jesus. I want to invite our worship team to come up at this time. Advent is a wonderful time to celebrate communion. In Jesus' final words to his disciples that night, he ate together with them the Lord's Supper. He gave them this word of promise, a prophetic word. He said, for whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death. Until he comes. Advent is all about remembering. Remembering Jesus is coming, but also remembering that he is coming again. Christmas celebrates the baby in the manger, but it also celebrates the coming Lord of Lords and King of Kings. And this morning we're going to celebrate communion together, remembering that he will return. He is coming soon. Paul writes the words of Jesus. As he sat around the table, he said this to his disciples. He says, The Lord, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and he said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. 
And in the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Communion pushes us, pushes us into the future, that future day when Jesus will return. And then in Revelations it says, He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and there will be no more death or sorrow or crying or pain. All these things are gone forever. I want to invite all those who understand the meaning of communion, who confess Jesus Christ as Lord in word and life, are accountable to their congregation and are living in right relationship with God and others to join us, to participate with us in the Lord's Supper. And this morning, you're invited to come and we will serve you. I'm doing this selfishly. It's a way to be able to touch a few of you and bless you. And so as you're standing in line, remember it's communion, it's community. Nudge and jostle and, 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 and figure out who's beside you. You may even want to pray for that. You might see something in their eyes and say, hey, can I pray for you? Pray for that individual. If our prayer team is here, or if you want to be part of the prayer team this morning, I'm going to invite you to be up over there so that if people need to be prayed over, you can go there before communion or after communion. When you receive communion, you take the cup, you take the bread, you can go back to your seat. You can take it whenever you want, participate together with the person you're sitting with. If you notice someone might have a bit of difficulty getting their own elements, the bread and the cup, say, hey, I will go and I will bring it back to you. Or come tell me and I'll bring it to them. Let's serve each other. Let's join together as a community in communion. Again, the words of Jesus. He said, breaking the bread, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And then with a the cup, he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. And so if you're in love with Jesus, if you love Jesus and you're following him, join us in this meal today. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you for Advent as we remember and celebrate the coming of Jesus. Thank you for the little child that came down from heaven, gave up everything for us. Thank you, Jesus, for obediently going to the cross, for dealing with evil and sin, dying, paying the price, but rising again, being victorious so that we can live in victory. And Lord, as we partake this morning, I just pray that, that we would be reminded of this amazing gift of, of new life, new birth. Lord, you've given us new names. We are your children, sons and daughters of yours. Thank you. Bless us as we commune together this morning. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.